The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hello, and welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm so excited to have you, but let me tell you, I'm even more excited for our special guest today. She is the founder and CEO of Noir Vest Holdings, LLC, Nicole Pendergrass. Nicole, thank you for joining. How are you? Hey, thank you for having me here, Cody. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Well, listen, the pleasure is all mine on the Zoom call. I trust, trust me on that. For those that are maybe hearing your name and voice for the first time, hopefully not, but if they are, would love to get your origin story, where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what kind of real estate you find yourself in these days. Okay, well, origin story, I am from South Jersey, raised there, born in Philly, raised in South Jersey, moved to New York City after I went to college upstate New York, and then I got into real estate. Really, after right after my dad passed, I ended up going to a real estate three-day seminar um, with my boyfriend, and his sister couldn't go, so he invited me instead, and I went, and it was a rich dad, poor dad seminar, and of course, my mind was blown, and I was like, oh my God, how is it that regular people can invest in real estate? Like, they really can do this. You don't have to be a big corporation with tons of money and like, you know, wealthy. And I said, this really can change your life. I was sold, completely sold. So they tell you to either, you know, they do the whole thing, get your credit cards out and bring somebody in your family to come with you the very last day. And I was so excited. I was telling my mom about it and said, you should come listen to what they have to say. So she came the last day and she kind of helped bankroll me to go run to the back of the room so I could sign up for the classes because I just thought this was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. There was nowhere else I was going to get real estate investing information if I did not sign up with this group right here right now. So they they did their job and they they definitely opened that door for me to learn about all the different strategies. So I kind of started off knowing about a bunch of different strategies from the very beginning because they kind of take you through all the the different ways that you can invest in real estate and different ways you can like what you can do, what what I guess uh assets you need and time and money and, and things of that nature. And so that's kind of how I got started and then joined the New York City RIA because that's what they tell all newbies to do, like join your local RIA and just networking. And so that was me off to the races. I love it. I love it. You know, I think a lot of us start with, I call it the little purple book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's kind of the eye opener for a lot of us on like, oh, you mean normal people like us can can do this too? Like exactly. that's, that's a thing? <laughs> okay, tell me more. Yeah. Right. Well, listen, I appreciate you jumping on. And I know we're a little bit unconventional what we do, but I I would love to have you maybe talk a little bit about some of your own success stories and things and challenges you've you've met and seen in your real estate career and hopefully educate our audience on some lessons that they can take away as well. And, you know, this is so funny because, well, first I'll say my very first blog post on like on bigger pockets with my first multifamily. I'm in the multifamily field field now. And so my first multifamily building was a three unit uh, building that I house hacked. And my closing story of that was I titled my blog post, my first unsuccess 
health hack. And so when you contacted me and I was like, unsuccess stories, oh, this is like destined. I'm supposed to be on this podcast, <laughs> right? But it's just thinking of that, like what mistakes I've made. And I think I might've mentioned to you, I, there's so many, I can't fit it in one. Like you're going to have to have me back because this, I can't, I can't have. Come on, come on. We got plenty of spots. Keep one, coming. <laughs> in one show. But because I'm in multifamily now, I'll start with, I think is a great, what I think is a great entry point for most investors, especially if you're new and you want to get started. And I think house hacking is a wonderful way to get in because you can get in with the low down payment options. Interest rates are going to be lower. Your insurance is going to be lower. Everything is just going to be financially more adept to you getting started and jumping in and learning how to be a landlord, learning how to be a project manager and and getting contractors in and getting work and repair orders done and kind of learning how to run this as a business. And so that's not for everybody. But if you're looking to get into real estate, I really think that's a great way to build wealth and equity and cash flow at the same time, because you can definitely live for free or close to free and really free up a lot of that monthly expense, which is your housing. So my unsuccess story, I'll start with when I went to close on this property, I bought it from a rehabber who had purchased it vacant and it had been vacant since it was built. It was a new build like 2007, 2008. So right when the crash happened, it basically was built when the crash happened. So the person who had it built or had purchased it at build never moved in. And so it sat vacant for like 10 years. Then the, the rehabber I bought it from purchased it and I bought it the year after him. And I say rehabber with air quotes. I'll put air quotes for the video if that ever comes out. But <laughs> just if you're listening, air quotes, uh, because I don't really know what he did and what he changed in the property versus what was there originally. And just from conversations and hindsight, I know he did bare, bare minimal to the property, especially with you know, issues that I've had after the fact and repairs that needed to be done and finding out about the insulation problems and just things that I financially could not fix. And I also closed, okay, so let me start at the beginning. I, I told you, there's so many mistakes, even with just one property, but I'll try to make it as quick as possible. So when I purchased this property, I came to the table basically with nothing. I I did um, a direct mail campaign because I had learned that in my strategies from learning about investing in real estate. So I mailed out to three and four family properties in certain zip codes of the Bronx, which is where I purchased my property. And I said, who's going to you know, call me back? And he was one of the people who called me back. So I went to go see the property. It was vacant at the time. So I toured it around. And because I had just all these creative strategies in my head that I was going to do with this. Oh, he's an investor. I knew he was an investor. I knew how to look up the records in New York City. And so I said, I'm going to have him like owner finance this thing, right? And because I knew at the price point that he was asking, I wasn't going to be able to afford it. So he had a broker, mortgage broker that he referred me to because my pre-approval was from like Chase Bank or somewhere else, Wells Fargo. And I had been pre-approved 200000 for a condo, right? And then this is a three family. So I didn't know that the rent could go towards my income to help me qualify for the loan. They use 75% of the rent to help your income and your debt to income to qualify you. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go through the steps. I'm going to let him think that I'm going to go to his mortgage broker. I'll just go through all the steps. But when they deny me, I have to go back to him. He's going to give me the loan as an owner finance deal. And so I went through the steps, went through the steps, went through the steps, and we closed. 
<laughs> so they, they actually were able to pull it through. We do have to switch mortgage uh, lenders in mid mid close process um, because one lending institution wasn't wasn't going to work, and he found a new product, and then we switched. We did all those switching gears. But just to say that too, when I signed on the contract, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a lender. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have an inspector. I didn't have anything that I kind of needed on my team. I basically was relying on, and this wasn't purposefully, and I should have known because I had already been studying real estate for years and doing other odd things here and there. And I basically just didn't, <laughs> I just came to the table with nothing. And I thought, because it just moved so fast and his con, his lawyers was saying, you know, oh, you have to, we normally, you normally do the inspection after you sign the contract and this, uh, you know, just things like that. And so I, I said, I don't have enough time. Like I want to just hurry up and get this because I was so thirsty to get my first deal. This was my first solo deal. So I basically just, I went, went forward with it and I signed without even getting an inspection because the one inspector that I had met during like a home buyers conference, he either wasn't responding or wasn't available for two or three weeks. And I just didn't know the process of delaying that. And, and I didn't want to lose out on the opportunity. So I went ahead without an inspection, which I think was my first, uh, my first big mistake there. And then after that, just like going to the mortgage broker, he asked me, oh, do you have an attorney to help you close? And I said, uh, no. And he said, um, you need somebody on your team. So his mortgage, the seller's mortgage broker really helped me because he's the one who introduced me to the attorney just to have, have somebody to go back and forth. And I just want to say, then after closing is when a lot of things happen. So let's say I got hit with maybe like five to $7,000 worth of repairs and things that needed to be done that might have been caught pre-closing if I had an inspection, but might not have. So the one thing was electricity with Con Edison was not being hooked up. It was all wired to the wrong meters, like the wrong, the meters that were on the outside of the building were associated with the wrong apartments inside. So that uh. was quick. Yeah, it was it was weird. So they were getting charged for other apartments meters. So that was a quick fix because we just had to call the Con Edison company and, and have them switch over the accounts. And then also the hallway lights were billed with the first floor apartment. So I had to get those separated and get a new like electrical panel placed in the hallway and things of that nature. So that was quick. The second one was the water. There was a water meter because this is a new bill. There was a water meter there. but the DEP did have no record of a water meter in their files. So even though there was a physical water meter, DEP said, no, there's no water meter. Because what ended up happening is I found out after 50 million phone calls with DEP is that the original builders must have never submitted the final paperwork with the permits for the water meter. So the water meter had been being billed for not having a meter, which is illegal. So that bill has been like for fines had been building up, building up. And the seller was trying to fight it because there was physically a water meter there. And he didn't go through the steps to try to figure out what really was happening. There was a little bit of money in escrow, which helped save me. But at the end of the day, I basically went to a plumber 
who was starting his business and I was trying to help out and be supportive of new business and all this stuff. I told him the entire situation. He went and pulled the permits and this was already like six or $7,000 just for the water bill. He went and pulled the permits and then come to find out he pulled the wrong permits. And then come to find out you can't attribute permits from one department to another department. They just don't cross over. So you have to pay again for the whole new permit. And guess who didn't have money to pay for the permit? Him. And guess who had to put it? I didn't also have money, but I had to end up putting it because, you know, like it, it was it was something I had to argue with him back and forth. So that ended up being a crazy deal. And in that whole circumstance, the mortgage company saw the water bill and for some reason thought that that was the taxes that were unpaid. So they paid them thinking that it was taxes because they didn't want the property to be foreclosed on for taxes. And then my escrow account skyrocketed and my mortgage payment was like $1,000 more per month than what it should have been. And so then I had to go through all these steps to get reimbursed, get the the DP to credit me back for a certain amount of the money, get the money from escrow that was held from the seller, and then pay all of that back onto the mortgage company and let them refigure out my escrow again so that it was my mortgage payment was back down to where it should have been. So, but that in that meantime, it was like three or four months where I had to pay extra thousand dollars a month because I, it was all a big, big, big mess. So, and that is just like the first couple months after I closed on the property. And I'll also say that the, see, I told you there was a lot. <laughs> it was, but I'm telling the, the tail end of what I'm going to say about this, this portion of the journey. So, the property was vacant when I first toured it. The seller said, oh, I'm going to put tenants in the property for you. Don't worry. I'm going to get you the best tenants ever so that when you close, you basically already are walking into a cash flowing situation and you don't have to worry about going out there and finding tenants. So I was the agreement was I was supposed to approve any tenants that he found. He was going to give me the entire tenant application and I would approve it. Then they would move in. So, oh, no, I can't find anybody. I'm going to make sure I get you good people, good people. Oh, I can't find anybody. I'm going to make sure. Don't worry. Don't worry for nothing. I'm going to get you good people. And so finally, it was, this was, I first started seeing the property in like November, October, November, because it took about eight months to close, which was a really long closing. But then by January, I said, look, what's going on with the tenants? Have you been able to find anybody? Oh, yeah, I found somebody. They moved in last week and the next tenants are moving in next week. And I said, what happened to the, the applications I was supposed to get? I thought I was supposed to approve these first. And he said, don't worry, don't worry for nothing. I only get good people for you. And then he basically, I ended up getting the packets at closing table. And he did not attend closing because he never attends closings. He just sent his representative, the attorney. And he put them into the property for $100 less per month than he told me he was going to. And he put them on two-year leases. So... And I ended up having to evict one of those tenants because after a year, they stopped paying me for like another year. And then it took like another year after that to get the marshal to get them out because New York City is notoriously slow when it comes to evictions and landlord tenant rights. Landlords have no rights here. So that was the big like journey of the beginning of that. I can tell you my lessons learned. Or I don't know if you want to have another question or anything in between. Well, you know, the, the things that I, I took away from that or, and correct me if I say anything wrong, but the three things that I, when I'm listening to this story is one, the importance of having a team around you that 
the real estate is not a solo sport, if you will, right? You got to have a team. And if you think you're going to do it alone, then you're probably doing it wrong or you're going to run into issues, right? <laughs> yeah. In yeah. Un- unforeseen circumstances. So it's a team sport. So make sure you, you, you pick your team accordingly, but you leverage that team accordingly as well. The second thing is for everything that I heard that you went up through, and there, there, there were some interesting things. You're still in real estate. You're still investing. You're still helping others invest, that it's still something you believe in. So I think that's incredibly powerful to hear that of all the things you went through, it's still something you believe in. And then something that can that really help change people's lives. And the last thing I hear is, if you don't want to mess with that, you should probably just passively invest and take your returns. Yes. <laughs> Those are perfect, a perfect, perfect summary. Yes, that's basically everything that I, I did learn from that. And you know what? That that property, I wouldn't change that experience for the world because it builds some grit, resiliency, persistence. It gives you some thick skin, which is what you need in real estate. And it, it didn't kill me. Like it just, you have to figure out how to make it work instead of like, if I had walked away and sold it or just walked away and decided I'm not going to pay this mortgage anymore, throw my hands up, then my credit would have been ruined. Like I would have the asset anymore. You know what I mean? It just, you could have do that, but why? Like fight through and push through and see what's going to happen. And now like four is it's more than four years later, but at four years, I refinanced and the Bronx had been appreciating ridiculously. And that refinance really springboarded me into the next phase of my real estate investing. That gave me the money to do a down payment on a commercial size property. So I have a six unit now with a partner and it let me join a multifamily community that has coaches and mentors and a network of people and they have all their team behind them. And I can reach out and say, I'm part of this community of investors, or I can message in the group and say, hey, who's come across this situation before? How did you handle it? Who do you know? Do you have a CPA? Do you have an attorney? Do you have anybody else in the team that you need? I now have access to all these people and the community and the knowledge. And it's it's been life-changing and I wouldn't change it for the world. And even now, the way the market is going, it's it's pretty insane. And I'm I'm thinking about selling just cash out and roll that money into more bigger multifamily deals because now I'm in those communities and I have access to those types of deals and um, helping people invest passively if they don't want to deal with all of this hoopla, which is it's a lot and it's not for everybody, but you can still build wealth investing passively, right? I just didn't have the wealth at first to, to invest passively. So I had to put in the sweat equity and I built right. up that. And now I can turn around and invest passively if I want. And so that's why I think it's just so life-changing. And so, and I got into that deal for $17,000 to control like a $500,000 asset. And though, even though with all this, the craziness that happened, now I'm, I'm refinancing, I'm, I might be selling. And, you know, and then that just, it's like, how, where else can you get in for that? small amount of money and make that much equity and really have build that much wealth that you can now invest passively or invest in other endeavors and really continue to grow it. That's why I believe real estate is really just so powerful, no matter what, what comes your way, just fight through it. I love it. I love it. Nicole, that's probably as good enough spot as ever to wrap up. I, I honestly can't thank you enough for joining us and, and educating us and taking us through your journey. And then hopefully giving people that are listening at home, the understanding that if they're willing to put in that sweat equity, they can join the journey too, or to your point, passively invest and enjoy a lot of the fruits without the labor. 
Nicole, for those that want to work with you, learn from you, invest with you, where's the best place folks can find you? Well, actually, if they go to my website, the links to all my social media handles are there. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. But the website is noirvestholdings.com, N-O-I-R-V-E-S-T-H-O-L-D-I-N-G-S.com. And you can reach me there. You can send me a message through the the website as well. Yeah, and I'm happy to talk to anybody. I love talking about real estate. If you are stuck and need help or guidance or some advice or just want to chat, please reach out. Perfect. And we'll drop all of those links in the show notes to make it easy for everyone to grab those, either the website or the social links. So Nicole, thank you. Honestly, we really appreciate it today. Yeah. Thank you, Cody. I love just talking with you. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening at home, thank y'all. And we'll catch you all next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.